Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent your word, Jesus Christ, to us 2,000 years ago. We celebrate that today, and we thank you that you still speak to us, even now, through your word made flesh. And so give us ears to hear and hearts that are open to hear your, your voice, even today, to each and every one of us, I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for being here. Um, I know it's a, it's a busy day for all of us. We're in between family things, maybe, and different events. So thanks for taking the time to be here and to acknowledge what this day is all about. I've been told a couple of times by uh, various family members that Christmas sermons should be short. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going for that, a little, well, relative to how I normally preach. Um, and what I want to do is just look at what St. John teaches us about the Incarnation in chapter 1, the prologue to St. John's Gospel, the um, account in Matthew and Luke that we looked at last night um, is a historical account of the birth of Jesus, an amazing story of Jesus' humble birth, and we talked about that last night at the Christmas Eve service. It's historical. It gets into the, in, into the facts of uh, the birth of Jesus Christ. And, and by the way, one of the reasons why we can have confidence that the birth narratives of Jesus are true is that, as we talked about last week, it's so humbling how Jesus came. He came uh, to Mary and Joseph, who were a poor Jewish couple. They had to leave their hometown because of the emperor's decree, the census. They were under the thumb of the Roman emperor. And then he was born in a feeding trough. He was born in a, in a manger. So the point is, if you were making this up as a legend, you wouldn't have the king, the Messiah, come to earth that way in such humble circumstances. So we looked at the historical kind of story of Jesus last night and the significance of it. And then John takes a, a wider perspective. John looks at the birth of Jesus through the lens of eternity. It's very theological what John does here. And very profound. So what I want to do is, uh, as we look at these truths that John teaches us about the birth of Jesus, about the incarnation, um, I'm hoping that the significance of who Jesus is will, will grow in our hearts and minds. I'm going to follow here something that J.I. Packer wrote in his really great book called Knowing God. He's got a chapter on the incarnation. He points out seven truths from this prologue. So seven truths. <gasps> seven so it's going to be bullet points, okay? And then we'll, get, then we'll get to the significance, what it means for us. What, what do we learn about Jesus, the Word made flesh, according to John's prologue, this first chapter of the Gospel of John? First, we learn that Jesus is eternal. Jesus is eternal. In the beginning was the Word. Jesus' existence did not begin that first Christmas morning. Jesus has no beginning of his own. When other things began, he already was. In the beginning was the Word. From the very beginning, from the start of all things, Jesus existed. Second, we learn that Jesus is personal, that Jesus is relational. The Word was with God. The eternal Word of God has been in an eternal relationship of love, active fellowship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit has been going on for eternity. The Word was with God. 
Third, we learn of Jesus' deity. The Word was God. Jesus is not a God. Jesus is God. The Word was God. He is fully divine, just as God the Father is fully divine. Jesus is one with the Father in terms of his divine nature, but he's distinct from the Father in terms of his personhood. Jesus, the Word, was God. Fourth, we see that Jesus, the Word made flesh, is creative. Jesus is creative. All things were made by him, verse 3 teaches us. All that was created was made through Jesus, Jesus is the agent of creation. Fifth, we see that Jesus gives life. We see the word animating. In him was life. He's the origin and sustainer of all created things, including us. Our life is from Christ. Sixth, we see Jesus as the revealer, the word revealing. The life was the light of men. Light shines in the darkness so that we can see. Light reveals. Jesus is the revealer. The truth of God shines through Jesus Christ. And then seventh, finally, we see the Word incarnate. The Word becoming flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. The babe of Bethlehem was none other than the eternal Word of God. So those are the seven things here. Um, Jesus is eternal. Jesus is personal. Jesus is fully God. Jesus was and is creative. Jesus gives life, and Jesus reveals, and Jesus, the Word, became flesh. Jesus was incarnate. Now, why does all this matter? The, The identity of the Word of God, why does it matter? Well, first of all, if you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. Jesus reveals the character of God. And I think there's a longing in all of our hearts to know God. Remember one time ministering to a man who was just days away from from dying. He was in the hospital bed, and he, he asked me, he said, What is God like? I wonder what God is like. There's a longing in all of our hearts to know who God is, and especially as we get towards the end of our life, as we're facing eternity. Do we know God? Do we have a relationship with Him? We don't really have to wonder what God is like if we believe what the Scripture says, that Jesus reveals God. We can look to Jesus. He is the Word of God incarnate. And we use words, this is significant, this image of word, because we use words, why? to express ourselves, to communicate ourselves. So what John is saying is the expression of God, the communication of God is through Jesus Christ. If you want to know what God is like, if you want to hear God speaking to you, look to Jesus Christ. Our passage from Hebrews says, In these last days God has spoken to us, no longer just by the, not by the prophets or the, the people of, of old, but God has spoken to us. By his Son. And the Son is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So because of Christian, we can because of Christmas, we can know God. But in receiving Christ, we receive more than just information about God, we receive the life of God. Remember that the word is personal. 
The Word was with God. The Son has always been with the Father. So when we know Christ, we enter into a personal relationship with God the Father. We become, as John says, children of God when we receive Jesus Christ. All who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Verse 13. All of us who are created uh, in the image of God, and that includes every human being, is in some sense a child of God. But what John is talking about here is somebody who knows God as their heavenly father, who's in a relationship with God who understands that God, the creator of the universe, cares about them, is interested in their life, and wants them to live for his glory. That's what John is talking about when he says he gave them the right to become children of God, to know God in that intimate relationship of trust and security. We love it as parents when our children say to us, I love you, Mom. I love you, Dad. Or sometimes... When they were little, they would say, and we still have some little ones that will say something like this, I love being part of this family. That's music to a father or mother's ear because it means that they have, they have experienced what family really is all about, security and a relationship of love. And what John, the apostle, who knew Jesus is saying, if, if you know Jesus, if you've received Jesus, if you're connected to Christ, then that's how you know God. You're in a relationship of security and love with with the creator of everything. The amazing truth of the gospel is that God, the creator of the universe, wants us to have a relationship with him, and he's made a way through Jesus Christ. Finally, because of the incarnation, we can behold the glory of God. We've seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. When you behold something that's glorious, it gives you delight, it gives you joy, doesn't it? If you look at a beautiful work of art or you go to a concert or you, you see a great play or maybe a, 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 you have a beautiful meal that's glorious, maybe recently we've had a couple of those wonderful meals, it gives us joy. And Jesus reveals the glory of God because he wants us to enjoy God. Can you believe that? That's an astounding thought that many people don't really appreciate or understand. God wants us to enjoy him. What is the chief end of man? What is the very purpose of life? How would you answer that question? Now I'm going to go back to my Presbyterian days and, pu and pull out the Westminster Catechism. Question one, what is the chief end of man? To know God and, or to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. When we see the glory of God in Jesus Christ, it leads to enjoyment. Because when we glory in something, we, we take delight and joy in it. And the more that we know God, the more we enjoy Him. It's a gift that keeps on giving. This morning we did our family unwrapping, you know, and we all kind of go around in a circle and unwrap our gifts for a while. That's how it starts. And then it just turns into a melee, you know. But, but Lydia said, you know, about halfway into it, she kept asking this question. Do I have another gift? <laughs> is there another one? Is there another one? Is there another? And finally I said, no, this is not infinite. You know, it's going to run out, honey. I didn't say infinite to her. I said, no, you know, eventually the presents are going to run out. But that's not how it is with God. He's inexhaustible. 
He, he's an inexhaustible fountain of love and goodness and glory. And the things that we appreciate in this life don't fully satisfy us. Why? God designed it that way because He's made us to long for Him. He's made us to long for Him. And the good things that we enjoy in this life are pointers or signs of the infinite goodness of God. It all comes through Jesus Christ. To know God, to become a child of God, to enjoy God, it's all possible because of that first Christmas. I'm going to close with this poem that um, speaks to the mystery of the Incarnation. This is something that our bishop sent, sent me, or sent all the clergy, really, uh, yesterday. So this is a poem by Lucy Shaw. It's called Mary's Song. Just quote some of it. Rest, you who have come so far. Now nearness satisfies the body of God sweetly. Quietly he lies whose vigor hurled a universe. He sleeps whose eyelids have not closed before. His breath, so slight it seems no breath at all, once ruffled the dark deeps to sprout a world. Charmed by dove voices, the whisper of straw, he dreams, hearing no music from his other spheres. Breath, mouth, ears, eyes, he is curtailed, who overflowed all skies, all years. Older than eternity, now he is new. Now native to earth as I am, nailed to my poor planet, caught that I might be free. Blind in my womb to know my darkness ended. Brought to this birth for me to be newborn. And for him to see me mended, I must see him torn. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you that you sent your son 2,000 years ago. This great mystery of Christmas, we pray, would penetrate our hearts and minds. We thank you that through him is life, light, and the knowledge of you, which we can experience now and grow in now and know forever. We thank you for all these great gifts in Jesus Christ. And I pray that each person here would receive the gift of Jesus. We read in the Gospel of John that some did not receive him, but to those who received him, he gave the right to become the children of God. Help us all to be your children, Lord God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.